I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to uh, pick this up from the uh, 23rd verse from the New American Standard Bible. Those of you who will ask me from time to time what's a good literal translation of the Bible, the New American Standard Bible, and it's uh, updates are very, very accurate, very, very good. In fact, the New American Standard Bible was the first real Bible I ever had. My mom bought it for me for my graduation from high school. And uh, an excellent translation. And then it reads this way, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Say that with me. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, um, in so doing. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, the backstory of this is there were some abuses going on in the Corinthian church. How I many know there were a lot of abuses going on in the Corinthian church? And Paul took the time out of love to share with him truth and, and you know, rebuke them in some cases. One of the things they were doing is they were having basically communion meals. And, uh, you know, those that had nothing did without. And those that, uh, you know, that had plenty uh, were gluttons about it. And to the point that some of them actually were taking wine and, and actually getting drunk. It was supposed to be a holy occasion. I mean, it's probably not a good idea to get drunk during the Lord's Supper. Okay. Uh, and these haven't fermented, so you're in good shape today. Amen. When I was a, I was a kid, I was helping the pastor at our Epiphany Lutheran Church with something. I don't remember what it was, but it had something to do with confirmation. And uh, I'd opened up a little refrigerator there, and there was a big glass bottle of Mogan David wine. I said, aha, <laughs> uh, we have a different tradition. Amen. But the reality is that uh, you and I have to make sure we approach this table in the right spirit. And I want to make sure that's done today. But first, let me explain to you this concept of communion or the Lord's Supper or in a high church called the Eucharist, and all Eucharist means, it comes from the Greek, Eucharistia, and it means Thanksgiving. What you're doing today is you're giving a great big Thanksgiving to the Lord for what He has done. Never forget that. Say it with me, I'm giving thanks when I partake of communion. It's for the believer, and notice this, so that you need to be a believer before you partake of this. Say it with me, I must be born again. Now where we would differ, I was recently in a, in a church where there was a Catholic wedding going on, and the Catholics uh, at one point stood up to receive you know, communion, a wafer, they would go down, and of course, if you know anything about the Catholic Church, if you're not catechized Catholic, 
that's not for you. And they even say it in the middle of a service. Uh, you shouldn't be participating in this unless you're Catholic. You know me being honorary like I am? I, I was tempted. <laughs> and, uh, and so they, they did this in the middle of a wedding, which was kind of cool for the couple especially. But you have to understand something. Just because there's a limitation to you needing to be a believer doesn't mean there should be closed communion for believers. If you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. And if you're not born again before we receive today, you can, you can be born again. You can rededicate your life to Him. You can say, you know what, Father, I, I repent of my sin. I ask Jesus into my heart. Lord, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior so you can participate in this. But an unbeliever, someone who's not walking with Christ, should not participate. But you don't have to have a certain church background to participate today. Don't care what you call yourself, where you came from, as long as you've experienced the new birth, you should participate in communion and the Lord's Supper. You say, why would I say that? Because there are people in the body of Christ who will not participate, who've been told they're not worthy enough, they haven't figured it out long enough, or they just feel shameful all the time. No, you should partake of it if, you're, if your heart is geared towards serving the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect or not. There's a mechanism here for dealing with those things. You should be taking communion. You say, why should I do that? Say it with me, open communion. We've got Baptists, Methodists, Assemblies of God, Church of God, Charismatics, Word of Faith. I mean, we've got some, some brethren here. We, you, you name the denomination, we've had them come through these doors. All that matters is, are you right with the Lord Jesus Christ? Come on, say it, I must be. Say it again, I must be born again. That's the standard. So it doesn't make a difference if you come from high church, ecclesiastical church, evangelical church. doesn't matter to me as long as your faith is in Christ. This table is open to you. And you need to participate. Amen? See, why should I participate? Because according to Scripture, communion like water baptism is an ordinance. What does that mean? It means it's a command from the Lord Himself. He's commanded us to take communion to remember Him and proclaim His death. It's a command of God. And uh, if we don't do this, then we're in disobedience. And so if churches never do it, they're in disobedience. If individuals don't participate, they're in disobedience. It is an ordinance of God. I would say the same thing, even though it's not the topic today. If you've not been water baptized, if you've not submitted yourself and identified with the Lord Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, you need to do so. Why? Because it's a command. No, I'm under grace, Pastor. I don't have to do commands. You're under the command of the one who gave you the grace. He's commander-in-chief, and you are not. So you should. And that's why that's behind me. Amen. It's not filled up today, or I'd dunk you today. But you need to follow the Lord. It's also what's called a sacrament. In other traditions, they have several of these, and that's where they limit or focus the grace of God to. And all a sacrament is is something that exposes you or is a means to the grace of God. That when you participate in a sacrament, something happens that is holy and powerful. Of that, we agree with our high church brethren. You understand this? Where we don't agree is that the sacraments will save you. We do the sacraments because we are saved. Right. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. But can something happen? 
in the North Georgia Revival reports come out every single week when people go underneath in baptism, they're coming up delivered from drugs, they're coming up healed, amen, they're coming up delivered from long-standing sins and problems and their issues, supernatural things are happening. In other words, that sacrament of baptism, when you honor that command, releases supernatural power in the person that honors God to do it. Every person small or big or old or young that gets baptized should expect the power of God. The reason I felt impressed to talk about this is because every person that participates in communion, when you participate, you should expect the power of God to surge in your life. It is not just a wafer and some juice and a ceremony. It literally is a sacrament that has accompanied with that the grace of God to move in your life with His presence, His power, and His goodness. They're available to you and they're available to me. Now listen. Anything that squares with Scripture, anything that squares with Scripture while you're participating, you can believe God for. Amen. It's probably dawned on some of us today that we've just been scratching the surface as to what communion could be doing for us. It was good that you were obedient. It's good that you were part of the sacrament. But did you take full advantage of everything that comes with that sacrament. I don't know about you, but as Revelation comes, I'm going to receive more and more, not less and less. A simple way that all of us would understand, especially since we spend a lot of time talking about glorification, is that when you participate, the glory of God is manifested. You say, I can't feel it? Then make a difference if you can feel it. I can't see it? Doesn't matter if you can see it. It's not about feeling. It's not about seeing. It's about the manifest presence and power of God and the goodness of God. And that's what happens when you participate in faith as a believer in something like communion. Now, for those that, uh, you know, are young in the Lord or their background is different, I want to take this opportunity to make sure you understand, you know, what you have in your hand. There are traditions that teach that the, the body and, and the blood that we actually would use here are literal. They would say that they become literally the body and the blood of our Lord. The Catholics would say once that blessing is given, they've got a very, very sophisticated place where they, they, they keep the, the, you know, the wafers and, and a very place and sacred place where they put them in between services once it's blessed. Uh, Timothy will remember this. We took Mark Randall up to Ferdinand, Indiana one time to go to, uh, uh, what is that place called? Holiday World. And uh, there was a monastery there with a beautiful church. We went on the inside, and there was a portico on the inside, and the portico was glass, and the glass was that sacred bread. And Timothy was young. He was just about to open up and defile Jesus, but I said, put that down. <laughs> Remember that? Um, I didn't do that because I thought Jesus was under the glass. I didn't think that we should be, you know, offending their sensibilities in the place we were guests at. But is that Jesus? No. It doesn't become Jesus. In the Lutheran tradition, we basically believe that you know, Christ was in, under, and with those elements. And that's, that's what we're taught, but is it biblically true? Well, I don't think so. In our evangelical tradition, we believe that these are elements that represent the blood, and represent the broken body. They're symbols of that. They don't become 
the body and the blood of the Lord when you take them. They are not the body and the blood of the Lord when they're blessed. It's basically plastic and grape juice and a wafer with not much nutrition. And for you that are watching your carbs, don't worry about it. <laughs> There's nothing appreciable <laughs> in this wafer. That said, just because in the natural there's nothing happened to this. In the supernatural, his presence, the bread of life, is available when you take communion. Yes. And you can experience supernatural things happening as you honor. So your tradition could be a little bit different in terms of that. I'm just letting you know that that's what uh, you know, evangelicals tend to believe of all varieties of evangelicals, that these are symbols. Now, that said, if we're not careful, we just relegate this to a ceremony, some kind of symbolism, it doesn't mean anything. And it does mean so much. You're not drinking Jesus or eating his body. They misunderstood that when Jesus gave that teaching, and people misunderstand it today. But it doesn't mean that something outstanding you know, can't happen while you participate. My faith is today that you have some kind of a miracle encounter with him today. This is not just another communion service. It's not just another day in church. It's something outstanding happens in your life. Communion is a revelation of our faith and should continue revealing our faith to us in greater measure. It's a statement of honor for him. It's a declaration of unity with Christ. It's a proclamation of his death. And it's also a demonstration of our expectation in him. Hallelujah. That communion should never be taken religiously. It's a duty. Or treated as something that only special people can actually administrate. Do you know that people don't have to have robes to administer communion? They don't have to have a credential card. Half the time, I don't know where mine is. So I guess I'm disqualified today. It's the communion of the believer, not of the professional clergy. And what this means is not only can you participate today, you can take some of these home with you and have it as a family, have it as individuals before the Lord. Great men and women of God throughout time, throughout the history of the church, have understood the power of communing with Him and expressing faith in what He did. It impacts their lives. Some will tell of great stories of how God increased anointed in their life and revelation in their life by participating instead of just, it's religious, we got to do it on the first and third. That was our tradition in the Lutheran church. Some traditions do it every week. Why would somebody do communion every week? Because a lot of sinners in those churches. No, I'm just kidding you. There's a lot of sinners, what? Everywhere. <laughs> That's not the point, how much sin there is. But to treat it as religion, oh, my, i got to wait for the guy with a robe, and he's got to pull the box out of the wall and open up the little magic little box there and then give it to us, and that's it. No. Actually, if you appropriate your faith like you're doing today, you can receive communion, amen, at home with your family. It's a very powerful thing to do, and you'll never be the same in doing it. Amen. And I just want you to understand that, that I don't have to administrate it. Tim is not, does not have to be the one to administrate it. A board member does not have to be one to administrate it. You have the authority as a child of God, amen, to do so. And if you're in a marriage, you husbands should take that seriously. But even saying that, you can individually go to, amen, that place where the sacrament is practiced, amen, and honor him and remember what he's done for you. I'll tell you what, the body of Christ could use some remembering. Yeah. 
Remembering what it's all about. Remembering we're not here for ourselves. Amen? Remembering it's not just about Jesus who was supposed to take up a cross. We're supposed to take ours up daily. How can you not think about the cross when you're taking communion actively and frequently? Amen? Think about it this way. It shouldn't be taken religiously. It shouldn't be taken legalistically. It should not be taken flippantly. It should not be taken arrogantly. We do it correctly. However you're doing it in honor for the Lord, you're doing it correctly. I'm not going to serve you wine, but I'm not going to condemn people that practice that tradition. Because the bigger picture is they're trying to honor the one who shed his blood for them. Um, Don't hold your breath on us having anything in these cups of juice. Amen. Don't take it sinfully. Don't take it resentfully. But take it what? Take it soberly, seriously, and humbly. Say it with me. Soberly, Soberly. seriously, and humbly. Because we all need it. We are not in the place where we don't need the sacrament of communion. We are not so high and mighty that we shouldn't obey the ordinance of communion. Because he wants to work in our lives in the present day. Aren't you glad for that? Say, thank God I'm born again. Communion is not about the elements transforming into Christ. Communion is about you transforming into the image of Christ while you participate in communion. That's the key here. It's about what we become through communion with him through faith and the practice of receiving the elements. His divine favor is made available for us to be restored and transformed. In other words, all I'm saying in the context of the year of transformation is this practice of regular communion personally and corporately has a transformational effect on your life spiritually. Come on, say, when I take communion... It has the power to transform me. Now, the caveat is you have to do it in the right spirit and the right attitude, amen, in the right heart condition. If you do, it itself is a transformational experience. It separates me from some of our brethren, even in the evangelical world, that say it's just a remembrance. It's just a ceremony. No, it is not, my friend. It is another opportunity for the glory of God to transform you and me. And we need more transformation, not less. Amen? Say it with me, he's transforming me. I'm becoming like him in nature, in spirit, in beliefs, in values, in character. Amen. And so just uh, meditating on this, I thought, you know, I want to I wanna leave the church with three principles regarding communion that will, that will transform you. And if you practice these elements in your own personal life, your family life, your corporate life as a church, I believe you'll see transformation take place. And they're based on the text that we read and scriptures throughout the Word of God. So if you're taking notes, write these down. The first one is simply contemplation. And the word contemplation is chosen on purpose because it's not just a little passing thought about the condition of your life. It's serious introspection, reflection, an examination of your life. Say that with me. Serious reflection, introspection, and examination. What every person should be doing when they approach this table is serious contemplation. Now notice we talk about the contemplation of your own life and heart. 
Can you believe that's Siri right now telling you what contemplation means? Thank you, Siri. The days that we live in. I've never been in a sermon where Siri talked back to me. I've been in many series of services where people talk back to me. She just wanted to make sure I understood what contemplation meant. And she said it should be in the, in the context of meditation. Okay, praise the Lord. Siri said it, it must be true. <laughs> Say it with me. I know what it was when we said serious. <laughs> serious introspection, amen, examination. But watch this. Not of somebody else's heart. Your heart. Your life. Fred sure could use this communion service today. George really needs to hear this. Mary should come and listen to the pastor talk about this. Or look across the aisle and say, I know what you did last month. You're missing the point in your partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. It's the introspection of your heart. It's the examination of your heart, not in judgment of everybody else that may be partaking in that. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It says, search me. Yes. Well, Lord, can't you search my spouse too? No, say it with me. Search me. Search me. Come on, say it. Search me. search me. It's looking thoroughly at your life and being honest with yourself with what you find. Listen to this narrative in John 13 when Jesus was giving these elements and celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. Jesus answered, verse 26, It's the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now think of the implications of this. Not only were there 12 disciples and Jesus at that table, there was a devil at that table. In fact, the devil attends church more than a lot of Christians do in America now. And I assure you, he's not very far from these premises. That's not cause for you to get into fear, but it is cause for you to be sober. That if a man can be possessed because of his heart condition in the very presence of Almighty God at the table of the Last Supper, before his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection, you better believe that the devil can take more room in your life if you take communion in an unworthy manner. Well, then I just won't take it at all. That doesn't work because now you're in disobedience. Did I mention it's an ordinance? Yes. <laughs> Say it with me, it's a command. Yes. So that's not the option. The option is making sure that you're right. Realize that Satan shows up at the table looking for access. He was accessed at the very table of the Lord's Supper. You know what, but he will not be at the table in heaven. Aren't you glad for that? Forget about it, devil. You're not welcome there. Take the time to reflect on where you are spiritually and be honest about where you are. Wickedness in the heart when receiving communion opens the door to further demonization. 
You say, am I going to be possessed like Judas? No, I don't, I don't believe so. But I will believe that you're in your heart, in your mind, in your life, you're going to see things manifest that shouldn't be manifesting because you're taking this in an unworthy manner. When you come to the table, you lay down everything, every kind of conflict in your heart, every kind of thing that would make you strife-laden and bitter and holding on to grudges, you let it go. I don't care how far back it goes. You're nursing a wound from last week or 50 years ago. It's time to let it go. Because it will give the enemy opportunity to move your life in a direction God never intended. A good friend of mine posted something on Facebook and he said, you know what, the devil can't touch you without God's permission. I thought, well, that was great if that was all your revelation from the book of Job, but even that was misinterpreted. You know what the truth is? The devil can't touch you without your permission. That was pretty weak in here, Rodney. I'm going to try that one more time. The devil can't touch you without your permission. You have delegated authority. You are made in his image. I am not going to limit myself to the full context of the revelation of the book of Job when I have a Savior who's born and caused me to be born again and raised me from the dead with him and I'm sitting together with him in heavenly places. No, it's no longer God permitting. A lot of people are permitting by their lifestyle and how they live. And that can change today with a simple decision. Amen. You just simply can't forget that you can drink death and sickness to yourself today and you can drink life and wholeness to yourself. All based on the condition of your heart when you approach it. That's why we should never approach this flippantly but soberly and seriously. Now, if you were listening carefully, that was a good place to say amen because I can drink health to myself. I can drink life to myself. I can drink peace to myself. I can drink substance to myself. I can drink wisdom to myself. I can drink, you know, drink the help of God to myself. Or I can fail to deal with things. And we're not talking about a flipping, oh God, forgive me, whatever I've done. No, if you're hanging on to something, because this is what it means, not rightly dividing the body of Christ. It means not being in right relationship with God and with his people. Amen. Did y'all hear that crash? Did y'all hear that crash? That was the sound of the fences falling to the ground all over the building. Praise the Lord. It just crashed. Boom. Yeah. It's just not worth it, is it, church? Come on, say it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Not about you, but I'm going to drink life and peace, and health. From this, yes. That's how much God can transform your life. These aren't my words. These are the words of Jesus and the words of the Apostle Paul, that we can literally be transformed as we participate. Say it with me, contemplation. So what should you be doing right now? I should be contemplating somebody else's sin. No. You should be contemplating where you're really at. Not where you want to be, not where you think others think you are. Being self-deceived, coming to the table of the Lord is the worst thing you can do. Come with honesty. Everybody blows it. Everybody makes mistakes, but not everybody deals with things the way they should deal with them. Amen? We want to come to this table. When we finally get those wrappings off, we want to partake with a pure heart. Come on, say it, a pure heart.
Some of y'all are thinking, I had a pure heart and I got mad because I couldn't open this, so now I'm going to have to repent all over again. <laughs> Say it with me, a pure heart. Contemplation. Serious reflection. Introspection. And examination. Number two is confession. There are things, when you present yourself to the table of the Lord, whether it's here in church, as a family, as an individual, there are things that you need to be confessing. And I want you just to get these down today. One is sin. When you are partaking, you're confessing sin, you're confessing Christ, you're confessing covenant, and you're confessing the benefits. It's not just the sin, but you need to start with whatever's going on in your life. Amen? How many say you haven't been perfect this year? Now, some hands went up really fast. And some hands went up really slow. I want to talk a moment to the people whose hands didn't go up at all. <laughs> Behave, Pastor. <laughs> Psalm 32:15. What a beautiful scripture in this context. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my iniquity. Can you give me a good amen today? Aren't you glad? I want you to say that boldly. I said, I mean, say it boldly. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's exactly what happens when he was silent, not confessing. It had an adverse effect on him mentally, spiritually, and even physically. But when he got right with God and confessed, the healing power of God began to flow. Confession is so powerful and such a gift. Amen. Folk, your neighbor say, I know you need this gift and I need this gift. Amen. Confession is agreeing with God. It's saying the same thing that he does about sin. And as we approach the table in repentance, we must understand that the provision for that sin has been made because we're also proclaiming the Lord's death Amen. We're also consecrating our lives. We're also dedicating ourselves once again to his service at that table, all through confession. Confession is also applying your faith to the promises of the covenant, like forgiveness and healing and provision and protection. Say that with me. Confession is confession of sin. Confession is also confession of our faith for the covenant and the promises. When you approach this table, it's not just I confess my sin because I've been a horrible person. No, I confess my sin, but I also confess the God who has promised me He forgives all my sins, heals all my diseases, crowns me with loving kindness, fills my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. Amen. Redeems my life from the pit. Any covenant promise you should confess in your life. If something is wrong in your body, you should not miss the opportunity. Go ahead, confess your sins, but also confess your healing in Jesus' name. 
By his stripes he, amen, healed us. By his stripes ye were healed. Say it with me. Confession of sin, but also confession of the promises. Amen. That's probably a separation point for us and other traditions. That a lot of people would stop right there at the forgiveness of sin. But what happens if sin is redeemed and taken out of the equation? It leaves an awful lot of good things that God wants to do in your life. My dream for any person is not only to walk out with peace with God, that's the greatest miracle of all, and you should never leave a communion service where you don't walk out in peace if you did things the way you're supposed to do them. Amen. But how about walking out of here healed from a long-standing sickness or disease where the power of God just surged through your body? You barely got that juice down your throat in honor for God and the power of God hits you. Or you walk out of here and you hear good news of a restored relationship. Or you find out that God has opened up a door of opportunity for you. Or some debt has been canceled. Or God gave you the wisdom for a fix of a problem in life. Not just confess your sin, but confess the promises. Number three, not just confess your sin and the promises. Confess that you're preaching Christ. Because that's what you're doing. You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. And what does that death do? It removes the curse and restores the blessing in our lives. This is a truth that I want you to get. He said that when you come to the table, you are preaching what? The death of Christ. You're remembering, but you're preaching that death until he comes. You know what this does? We start with one preacher. And at communion time, we have an entire room of preachers. Taking communion turns you from a, just a church member or a tender, whatever the devil's told you you were just, to a preacher. When you receive, you're actually preaching Christ. Why is that important? In uh, Acts chapter 8, we see how Philip went and preached Christ. You know what happened? Miracles broke out. Why would miracles break out if we preach Christ? Say it when I receive communion, I'm preaching Christ. Say it bolder. When I take communion, I'm preaching Christ. When you look at what happened when Philip preached Christ, with shrieks, evil spirits left. Amen. Supernatural deliverance and body healings took place because of preaching Christ. When you preach Christ, the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. The Bible says he will confirm his word with signs following. You should expect signs and miracles and wonders to take place on the heels of receiving communion because you're preaching Christ. Every time. Come on, say, I am about to preach Christ. You should expect the signs and wonders that go with it to confirm it. Amen. Amen. So you're a preacher, didn't even realize it. Because somebody say, hello, preacher. Confession is preaching Christ. When you preach Christ, miracles take place. We should want to see the supernatural on the heels of communion. We should expect to see that when we preach Christ through communion, whether it's here today or at home. Uh, people like Smith Wigglesworth knew this. 
Great sages of old took it regularly because they were delivered from bondage and religion and great things would happen in their lives and through them. Amen? Simply because you're receiving. So confess your sin. Confess the promises. But also confess that you're preaching Christ when you participate. Amen? Say it with me. I need to contemplate. I need to confess. And number three, you need to celebrate. In the church, by yourself, with your family, it should include celebration. You're giving thanks for the sacrifice and all the covenant promises. You're thanking Him for whatever it is that you need in advance. You're giving praise to the one who died and rose from the dead. You're giving praise for what He has done and praise for what He is yet to do. Amen. Danny Johnson, who is a... a my spiritual sons of John Osteen said this, every time you worship, you remind Satan of the job he was fired from. <laughs> Talk about poking him in the eye. <clears throat> Celebrating. You get a hold of the spirit of Psalms like Psalm 115. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. You notice that uh, tambourines are not on this list. <coughs> Amen. Praise Him with the strings and the pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You praise Him for what He has done and what He's going to do. Go back to the foundational great meaning of the Eucharist. It is the act of giving thanks to God. Amen. So what we're going to do now is we're going to contemplate. I got one hallelujah and a couple groans and say, we're going to contemplate we're going to confess, and we're going to celebrate. And every time from now on, when you approach the table, you have that in your mindset. There's more to this than just some ceremony, just some religious activity. If you don't have these elements, raise your hand. Our ushers will be glad to, to serve you. You may have missed you coming in. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray this, this prayer. Pray it with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm searching my heart. I'm asking you to reveal to me any secret thing, any hidden thing, any way of wickedness. I welcome the searchlight of your Spirit on my heart. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. I receive it gladly. I receive it with great honor. Speak to me, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Lord, I repent of everything that I have done, everything I have left undone. I ask your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. I thank you, Lord, today. I have the ability to confess that sin. That confession is made unto salvation that's how I got born again. 
but it's also made unto right relationship with you whenever I go astray. So, Father, I repent. I ask your forgiveness. But I also confess every promise, every benefit, the forgiveness of my sins, the healing of my body, the provision for my family, their protection over our lives, the understanding and wisdom in our minds. We confess it all. We confess we stand in a covenant with Almighty God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I confess my sins, but I also confess the benefits of this covenant. And I claim them now in Jesus' name. Whatever it is you're needing, claim it now. Approach this table with that kind of faith in your heart. And say it with me. Third today, I confess Jesus Christ, dead and buried, resurrected. We remember him today. We confess as we approach this table. We are proclaiming Christ by this act of faith, by obedience to this ordinance, through the agency of this sacrament, power is released. The word is confirmed with signs following. I am today preaching Christ and I expect signs to follow. The word to be confirmed with signs following in Jesus' name. I am walking out of here with the peace of God, the presence of God, the power of God, and I fully expect manifestations on the heels of this service in Jesus' name. Glory to God. You have in your hand today a little small wafer that is not the body of the Lord. It will not become the body of the Lord. But faith in what it represents will cause transformation in your life. A little bit more like Him than you were when you came. A mind a little bit more renewed. A heart a little more devoted. A body a little more pure. That's why we gather. So for you and for me, the body of our Lord, broken for you. Thank you, Father, for your anointing flowing in this place. Thank you for your power flowing in this place. You have before you a cup. It does not become the blood of Jesus. It is not the blood of Jesus. But it's a symbol of his blood. When received by faith, causes transformation. You're going to have a little more peace, a little more victory, a little more joy, a little more success, a little more comfort, a little more wisdom. He's moving in your life and releasing those promises. You're being transformed as you participate. Receive that today. The blood of our Lord shed for you. What should you be doing? 
You should need any kind of coaching, any cheerleaders. You should stand to your feet and you should begin to celebrate not just contemplation, not just confession, but celebration. Let everything that hath breath, everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. The reason let breath, vocal in its adoration. Come on now, let's celebrate Him. Lift your voice up and thank Him today. He's forgiving you of your sins. He's healing your body. He's restoring your life. He's transforming you in every way. Glory, glory to your name, Lord. We bless you, Father. Now come on, lift up your voices and sustain it in praise. Sustain your voice in honor to Him today. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Thank you, my Father. We bless you, Lord God. We thank you for every benefit. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your burial. We thank you for your resurrection. And we thank you that you're soon to return and to come. Hallelujah, we bless you today. Glory to your name, Lord God. Blessing and honor and praise are yours, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. Glory to your name. Thank you, Lord God. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you, Lord.